everyone. Hello. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I open the show the exact same way each time. I say, hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. And this time I decided there was no need to say hi. You know, we've known each other a long time. Today I felt like it was more of a hey, everyone, hello kind of day. And that's how I still feel. Goodbye. Hi. You're not needed here. Anyway, hello. Hi, uh, welcome to the show. We're going to bring in my guest in a moment. She and I are already fast friends, but first I must chat with producer Tony Thaxton, find out how he's doing. He's sitting in a different room of his house or a different corner of the same room of his house, and it's throwing me off. Hello, how's it going? Hello, it's going okay. Yeah, I'm in a, a different room. I have I I didn't quite have to do this yet, but I have a, a friend coming to stay here and he's going to be here for a few weeks so you're going to I'm uh, probably going to be in this room a lot for the next several shows um just cuz I don't want to be uh, sitting out in my living room if he's hanging out here and doing the show out there so who is this friend what is this room I'm going to need more this looks <laughs> like your music room uh it it's I uh, yeah this is it's actually my bedroom but slash oh. slash office even though I have a spare room uh for some reason i i like I, I tried to work in there i don't like working in that room um so yeah this is this is that and this is my friend zach he's stayed here before and i, I think i recorded in this room the last time he was here i think so uh, yeah. musician friend of mine comes out here for uh musician work sometimes and uh yeah that's about it um nothing nothing that thrilling to report um but I did, I did, this is unrelated, I had a gross realization the other day, though, that I wanted to share. I was waiting to tell you until the show. Uh, you know, I've been working for you for a while now. Um, what is Carry it, like on. over three years, I think? And, it uh, feels like I, longer. I know, right? Because way more, more than twice as long have been, has been Zoom. Oh, that's really awful. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, it's truly terrible. And I had that realization. I was like, oh, man, that, uh, yeah, because I, I need, you know, I've been very vocal about how much I miss in-person recordings. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, when I had that realization, I'm like, oh, it, yeah, that's, uh, I don't like it. Yeah. Owen, second child, uh, just turned three. And I was realizing that he had just turned one when this whole thing started. He learned to walk during the pandemic. It's just weird how much of our yeah. lives have been this way. But doesn't mm -hmm. it feel like we're at the, I mean, I know it's, it's, it feels scary to actually cling to this. So I say this in like a, uh, um, I'm not, I'm not hold on, holding on to it tightly, but doesn't it feel like the tail end of it? Yeah, I've been having that feeling. I don't want to jinx anything, but it has, it really, it's feeling the most normal-ish that it's felt in a while. I feel like maybe even more than that little window last, that pre-Delta window right. we had last summer. It's even kind of feeling a little beyond that. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that we stay this way. I mean, we, and I think because we discussed on the show, it was on the show that you offered to pay me to go back to in-person, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> yep. So since the listeners have been part of that journey, they should know that we have an episode on the calendar for April 15th in person. And when you offered to pay me, I said, how much? And you said, we'd discuss it off air. 
which we have, can we share with them the figure that you offered me? And I didn't even um, negotiate. I just, and because I'm a woman, I didn't even negotiate. I just accepted the first offer, even though I probably should have pushed back. Yeah, because well, I wanted you to know I'm serious. So I told you I'll pay you 40000 40, for episode. <laughs> now, I know I probably could have gotten more because that was your first offer. But I just said, I said yes to the first offer because I got nervous. And I was like, what yeah. if I say, what if I push for more and then the offer goes away? So... And look, it's not my business, but I don't understand how that is fiscally how I don't understand how the how that again, it's your business. But I don't understand how that is like financially prudent for you to be paying me 40,000 well, to produce a, to, to edit or you know to do the to engineer the show and stuff, but if whatever, it's your business. Being- isn't being happy more important than money? <laughs> you can't put a price on it. <laughs> exactly. So I look forward to that. I look forward to, to uh, being broke. <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably what? Like, I figure one show, right? Maybe two? Oh, maybe like a couple minutes into that first <laughs> show, yeah. <laughs> um. So I am very excited to bring our guest on. She is a Los Angeles, and before that, a New York institution and I don't know if you know this about me, Tony, but I used to live in New York. It's an ongoing oh, thing God. that I never okay. bring it up. You know, people wish I would I would talk about it more, but that's true. I did live in New York for many years. Um, she uh, not only is she an institution, but she created a show that is a Los Angeles institution called Uncabaret, and now she uh, has released an audio book featuring conversations with many luminaries, and it is called So You Need to Decide. And and it is all about decision making, which is something that is right up my alley. Because if you've listened to me for any amount of time, you know that I can really, really, really overthink a decision. Please put your hands together for Beth Lapidus. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Or hello. Hi. Or whichever direction you like it to go. <laughs> it can be. It's, hey. Hello. Hi. Hey, what, hello. Hi. What do you think of Tony paying me $40,000 to do the show in person? It seems I feel good about it. <laughs> Solid number. Okay. Okay. <laughs> good. Um, welcome. Welcome. To, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and be your new best friend. Me too. Yeah. Um, so what is your decision? I mean, excuse me. <laughs> I bet you didn't know that I was going to push you to make a decision wow. so quickly. Yeah. No. What's your relationship with decision making is what I meant to say. <laughs> I'm very decisive uh, in general. But like most of us, I think I have decision exhaustion. It's a real thing. And we're many of us suffering from it. Partly we live, you know, in a world, you know, the devices have caused decision exhaustion, constantly deciding to scroll or not scroll, put it down, don't put it down, which app, you know, the level of decisions is so accelerated because of the devices. And then, you know, layer on top of that, the pandemic, which is to go out, you know, for a while it was super clear. I think people... Though we were, it was so weird because we were super stressed out about, you know, is it the end of the world mm-hmm. and, um, are we all going to die? I mean, that was bad. <laughs> yeah. It was bad. But then there, it was also, there was a certain relaxation to just, you're just home. You're, right. There was, I know that a lot of people had like 
haven't been home enough in a long time, you know, and mm-hmm. there was a nesting and certain getting to know. And so, but then as soon as we left that and it was like, should I go out? Shouldn't I go out? Do I need a mask? Don't I need a mask? And it turned into all this gray area. So on top of all the other life decisions that we have to make, you know, where's the, where are these others? So I, like everyone, um, you know, there's a certain exhaustion factor. I can be over, I, you know, I can go both ways. I'm an overthinker for sure in every area. Um, I like to think of myself as like a reformed know-it-all. <laughs> I used to really know everything. And that was exhausting. And letting go of that and being willing to be like, I don't know. Like actually being willing to not know has helped me get out of ambivalence. Because there's sometimes when you have to just... The better I get at not knowing, the better my decision-making gets. Mm. Mm. Because when you just go, I'm not sure yet, and I'm going to still collect information, you're not like constantly going, I know this, it's this, no, it's that, it's this, no, it's that. And you're just like, hmm, I'm not sure yet. Mm -hmm. I'm still thinking about it. There's all these phrases that you can say that are like, maybe, maybe this is this. I'm not sure. I'm thinking about it, you know. Um, Anyway. I I have been known to be overly decisive as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what made you decide to, to delve into the topic of decision making? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Partly it was, I was very attracted to the audiobook format. I really, you know, I love writing, but I also love performing. You know, it's sort of that balance of writing and the part of the conversations are sort of performative and, um, you know, on stage conversations, recorded conversations. And then the, you know, there was a, I wrote, got, I knew I was going to get to write my story part. And then I knew that would also be performed. And so it was a balance of my writer, you know, getting to write and getting to perform stand up is that, but uncab is so sort of, I'm always writing new sets. So every time I'm hosting it, it's some, you know, I'm always in the now and so I was really wanting something that was a little more reflective and could go back and I could really sort of fine tune. And um, this was this new form. And I'm also very attracted to new, you know, new. Is it new? Is it a new form? Well, I guess I'll try it. You know, <laughs> I think, you know, on an Internet, you know, website, right, you know, we did, I did a radio show when there was first like live streaming. I'm always like trying, I want to try it. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I knew I was looking for what would be a good, like what would be good conversations. And I also really wanted to dive into myself and it was 20, you know, it was 2019 and the election was in the offing and yeah, it's always like decision 2020, decision 20, (laughs) that word decision was really out there. And I found myself just really pulled towards the word and I thought it would make a great, I thought people would really, there would be a lot of stories. I mean, one thing about doing on cabaret all these years, as you know, it's, you know, a story, it's not a storytelling show, but it's a comedy show that has a ton of stories in it. So I've sort of gotten a sense uh, of, you know, over these years, what kinds of things people have good stories on. Mm -hmm. And um, I just knew decision-making there would be, you know, I divided the book into chapters and there was, you know, family and love and spirituality moving um, Quitting. and and work. And I just knew in all these areas, people will have made decisions that were stories. Mm-hmm. And so that, yeah. And then, so how did you actually go about 
like did did you talk with the um contributors ahead of time about their stories or did you sit down with them and interview them and then sort of decide who was going to and how it, you were going to put it together I didn't talk to people ahead of time most people I knew and if not yeah I think I there was only a couple of people I hadn't met before mm-hmm. um I researched a little bit um but I didn't talk to them before because it wasn't live. I mean, we were recording, you record right. long and you edit, you know what I mean? It wasn't like a, the, the book isn't formatted with like, you know, a chapter on, you know, Bob Odenkirk, a chapter on Baron Vaughn, a chapter, you know, it's because it's subject matter. I knew we were going to cut and paste and quilt. I like to think of it as a quilt, quilt mm-hmm. it together. So um we didn't have to, I mean, I let them know it's a book about decision-making. Here's the chapters. Why didn't you give it a little thought before we talk? Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I don't want to spoil it. I mean, I think there's, I wanted the freshness of conversations that were happening in the moment. I wanted to be hearing it fresh. So I would have questions that were, you know, I didn't want people to work it out too much because mm-hmm. I like people know their best stories in their heart, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not like, I didn't want to overly work it out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. So this is a tangent, but now talking like host to host, uh, something that happens to me and I have never, I've run this by other interviewers to find out if it ever happens Mm. to them and no one else. And I always expect they'll be like, oh yes. And here's what I do when that happens. But I've never run into anyone where it's happened to them. But if I'm (laughs) interviewing someone, Uh um, who has a, who has written a book and, Mm -hmm. uh, and I've read the entire thing covered because I always try to read someone's book ahead of time. But if they've written right. a memoir and I've read it cover to cover, um, like the, the night before, I often find the next day when I'm sitting with them, I get stymied because any question I can think to ask, I already know the answer to. And I don't mm. want them to be like, yeah, that was on page 242 <laughs> or whatever, you know. But then I have to remind myself, but the audience doesn't know any of that detail. And I'm right. in this weird space where I don't know how to negotiate that. Um, th- what made me think of that is because you said like you want it to all be new to you, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, well, okay. That's a great question. Um, for, you know, oh, I'm glad you thought the- that was a question because that f- to me felt like I just like barfed a bunch of info at you. <laughs> well, you know, it was a, an idea that was conversational. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, I always think, you know, you're like saying you're the opposite of Larry King, Larry King, was, you know, famous for, he just never read anything. He's just like, so you wrote a book. Right. <laughs> like Jiminy Glick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I sometimes, yeah, I think you can be over prepared for, an, for a conversation. And, you know, it's like, well, I was researching it and I saw that like when you were five, you, and then the person will be like, I know this happens to me too. People will be like, I read this thing about you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you went to elementary school, you know, it's like, I don't remember saying that. Right. I don't even know what you're yeah. talking about. It's, and so sometimes, you know, you can always say, well, you know, what was the process of writing? You can always mm-hmm. go to pro- what you just did with me. Like, what was the process? Because the process isn't in the product. And that's what we get to do in these conversations that right. are sort of, you know, peaks behind the scenes. And, um, and, and people don't always want to say the same thing. You know, sometimes you have to, I find like you try to suss out the stuff that people want to tell over and over again. There are these sort of 
stories that are so inside of us that like, no matter how many times you tell them, they're fresh every time. Mm -hmm. And then there's some stuff you're like, you know, I kind of covered that. You know what I mean? I I did that as much as I want to do. Right. (laughs) In in the audiobook, you talk a bit about how you get asked all the time about developing Uncabaret. And by the way, in your intro, I forgot to mention that you are referred to as like the godmother of alternative comedy. Yeah. Which is, that's quite Yes, I mean, yes. I mean, congratulations. (laughs) That's amazing. It's fun to be a godmother. Yeah. It's like being supernatural, right? That's, yeah. I mean, (laughs) you are credited kind of with like creating alternative comedy. So kudos. Um, That's awesome. Uh, but, But, you know, you are, you're, you're asked to tell that story all the time. Yes. But that you do enjoy telling that story. Yes. Which is good for me because I am going to ask you to tell that story. (laughs) (laughs) If you actually enjoy telling it. (laughs) I do because it's like, you know, it's like there aren't that many giant light bulb moments in your life. I don't know about you. I haven't, you know, I get, well, I get them all the time. Mm -hmm. I had a friend that used to call it, the woman who directed our Comedy Central show, she used to call it like an epiphany pillow moment. Like she (laughs) wanted to quilt it on a pillow. Uh And, um, and, you know, what I learned in this book is what, what I learned, what I came to sort of was I have this one light bulb moment that I tell that I will share with you and, you know, you and all your best friends. Um, but then what I really understood about the decision making process, you know, we're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, it's the moment, you know, mm-hmm. you saw this one blink moment. But there's this whole, you know, time period. Is it a year? Is it your whole life before that moment that I think of as the stare? You know, you stare and you stare and you stare and you stare. And so, okay, fine. You finally blink. It seems instantaneous, but you've taken in all this information beforehand. Mm-hmm. So I often will tell the story of, um, being at the, being at the women's building, which was a small, art space in downtown Los Angeles where Judy Chicago famously did the dinner party. And, um, I was on getting ready to go on tour. It was a show that I'd been doing and I was kind of retooling it. And, and, um, it was one of those nights where the audience just thought it was a little funnier than it was. It was, it was just like, you know, you don't want to say it's, it's anyway, I, of course, you know, they think it's funnier. You make it funnier. It's a good, mm-hmm. it's a great thing. It's, I'm not, you know, but then afterwards I was like, when was the last time you laughed? Cause it's not quite as funny as you thought it was like, Oh, we don't laugh. We're women and we're artists and we're lesbians. And if we go to comedy clubs, they make fun of us. Mm-hmm. And that was like a moment. I was like, Oh, I'm, you know, when I get back from tour, I'm going to make you a show. It's going to be unhomophobic, unxenophobic, unmisogynist. It'll be uncabaret. And I really don't know where it came from, that particular, you know, way of saying it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a cabaret girl. I didn't work in cabarets. I worked in nightclubs. I worked in theaters. I worked in performance art spaces. I mean, maybe I did a cabaret, but it's not like I'd been going around cabarets and it wasn't like part of my lingo or anything. Uh-huh. And, um, but there it, it came and then I just, just, I mean, I went with it, but then when I look back, it's like, I had been, you know, you trace it back and it's like what had been happening to put me in that moment where I would say that, I mean, I was so frustrated as a comedian in Los Angeles and it had kind of come to a 
head at the comedy store. I was following Andrew Dice Clay one night and just, you know, he's doing his usual, you know, misogynistic, you know, thing. And I'm standing there hating him and hating the audience for laughing at him and hating myself for hating the audience. And I just froze. I mean, I'm just not somebody... You see all these comedians are so good with hate. They know just what to do with it. You know, they get into onto a hate rant mm-hmm. and they're just like hilarious. I'm not that girl. And I just, it makes me so uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I froze. Now I think I, I'm just, you know, so many years later in my performance skills, I obviously would be more able. But at that time I was still a little, you know, young and, um, and I didn't know what to do. And I just thought there's got to be a better way. That sentence started running through my head like just, just one, you know, one of those red lettered things, you know, it's got to be a better way. It's got to be a better way. It's got to be a better way. And, um, and that was that. And then I started thinking about what would that better way be? Um, and why doesn't somebody, you know, from there, we're sort of like, why doesn't somebody do something about this? And then there was another night at another club and it just had been an, just one of those wretched nights. And I was dragging myself home thinking, why does it have to be this way? It shouldn't be this way. And I remembered that when I was five, I was in the hospital with a blood disease and, um, I was, oh wait, I felt fine and I was mobile anyway, but it was a blood disease. And I'm sitting in the hallway one day and I was looking at the kids playing in, you know, the room and, um, they're playing doctor. Hmm. And Allison, I just thought, why can't we play something else? I mean, we're in the hospital. Why can't we play house or astronaut or anything <laughs> really school? Um, and I realized at that moment, like I hadn't suggested another game. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, well, you were five and you were six. So no blame. <laughs> but, <laughs> but now you're a grown up. And like, if you don't like the way it is, probably you're going to have to change it. Mm-hmm. So, but then I still didn't know what it was. So I had all that in me and tons of other stuff. And when, you know, this woman's building thing happened. So that was the beginning. You know, I think of that as sort of the insemination and then blah, blah, blah. And when you, what year was that that you became that frustrated? Late, well, that was like the late 80s. Okay. And um, were, were there other comedians that were also at the store, the improv or whatever, like the, the hot spots were in like traditional comedy in LA at that point that you saw also being frustrated who everybody was frustrated because it was all like tight tens. I mean, I don't know everybody. That's a total, that's not true, but there were certainly others and there were, you know, um, so it was easy to book Mm because, you know, it was like, Oh, it's a different space. You don't have to be in a comedy club. And, but that even was just like, I didn't know what it was. It was just different. And then when that run ended and, and we went to a space called Highways Performance Space and, um, it was just me and Taylor Negron and Judy Toll for a late night Saturday night run there. And that really started to form what Uncabulary was going to be a combination of confession. Judy was so great at confession. She, you would have loved her. You two would have really gotten along. She was so confessional. She really was everybody's best friend. I mean, every single person, when she died, there were thousands of people at her funeral and everyone was like, Judy was my best friend. I mean, we were best friends. 
I mean, really, like everyone thought they were her best friend. And, um, and then Taylor was so sort of da da and, and very gray area in a lot of his life. Anyway, there were big ideas. There was mm-hmm. storytelling. There was confession. There was sort of poeticness. There was politics. And it really started to form what it was going to be. And then I ended that, uh, to run for, do my campaign to make first lady an elected position, all other conversation. And then, um, when Jean-Pierre Beccaro opened up Luna Park, he invited me to do something. And I was like, this uncabaret thing, this is, this is what I want to do. So when we really landed at Luna Park and it was me and Judy and Taylor to start with, and I started bringing in other people, there was a huge frustration in the comedy clubs of, you know, something like Dana Gould. I mean, who's just got so much material and is so prolific and, you know, is getting these spots, you know, these spots to do. Anyway. So yeah, all sorts of people. Um, and then, Judy had been really doing the groundlings. And so she started, you know, introducing me to a bunch of people who weren't really stand-ups anyway, but mm-hmm. were funny and had stories. And that was like Julia Sweeney and um Tim Bagley, Kathy Griffin, uh and there's a uh Mike McDonald were were all groundlings. There's a couple of others too, I think. And Janine and then came in and she knew Bob and David and blah, blah, blah. And every, you know, it just sort of formed organically then. And, but I was, then my instruction to people was, you know, do the material that you're really, your head is going to explode if you don't do this material because I just, everybody was doing these things in clubs that was like trying to get their late night set, which would get their Mm -hmm. holding deal so they could get their sitcom. Everything was a fucking showcase for something else. And it's just drove me, you know, from New York. I was like, (laughs) this is crazy. But then of course I was like, you know, everybody kept getting, getting deals. And I was like, why aren't I getting a deal? Well, Mm -hmm. because you think it's crazy. That's why. Oh, I very much relate to that thing of like, why am I not getting this thing that I also clearly like have very mixed feelings about that I'm not in touch with? That is like only in the last, I feel like few months have I has have has that realization about certain things come to the surface. But anyway, that's um, a lot of growth. Then, then you yeah, a growth spurt. Thank you, thank you. Um, so, Uncabaret began to take the form of you of people doing uh material and the requirement was that it's new material right but you would be in the back and you would interrupt them and ask questions yes yes and that well you know it that's how it reads but really what happened is um so i'm saying do the material your head's gonna explode and and meanwhile trying to get an audience Mm -hmm. you know because I would tell people about it and they'd go, Ugh, stand up. I hate stand up. It's so horrible. Mm. And I go, no, 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 it's not that kind of stand up. So slowly, you know, we were starting to get people to come and then actually people would love it and they'd bring their friends the next week. It was every Sunday. So then I was like, Oh, wow. There's a lot of the same people here. This is like, you kiss and you really can't do the same thing. I mean, as much as I thought before, maybe you can't, but like mm-hmm. you really have to do new material right. every time. I definitely did. And then, you know, most people weren't on every week, but still I wanted it to have that feeling of freshness. And right. that was the idea. Because of it. it's people coming each week. Partly because it's people coming each week, but partly because once you start doing it, because you know, it's funny. Mm-hmm. 
it's almost like you're just trotting it out. Right. I wanted it to have a different sense of almost journal. I wanted mm-hmm. it to have that sense of tracking the now. Yeah. Um, from the beginning, I always had was like, but now, what is this thing where this moment? That's the beauty right. of stand up to me is that you're so present in it. Mm-hmm. That's the beautiful part of the medium. And once you take that part out, then it's like, why do you even need the audience? Just tape it and show it to me. On, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I wanted it to be fresh. And yeah. that didn't necessarily mean you can't say anything a second time. But it did mean um, that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Just That's okay. Um, but it did mean don't do it. Just be funny. Sometimes you have to say something again as a setup. Mm-hmm. And that is just all that, you know, the repetition there was. So the back mic happened because when people were saying new stuff, I just remember this is just, I remember like once Julia Sweeney was telling something and offhandedly said, um, you know, when, well, when I was 10 and the house burned down and then just went, you know, onto something else. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you right. know, so really I was just sort of filling in for the audience. I see. I was so it wasn't really- the Benson interruption. Uh, famously, when he pitched that, they were like, isn't that Beth Lapidus' show? But <laughs> it was not the best. I mean, it's the, I think it's sometimes read that way, yeah. but it was always me trying to help mm-hmm. the audience. Um, Can fill in the blanks of something that was left out of a yes, story. Yes, because yeah. if the audience doesn't understand, if an audience has a question, they can't listen. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Uh can't listen if you're uncertain right that makes sense um uh, if only somebody could have asked me questions (laughs) i would always tell you i would always encourage people get on the back mic for me i need somebody i could have sat 12 feet behind you you could have you could have been my wingman (laughs) (laughs) um okay so you turned down oprah at one point that is true god okay nobody has asked me that that's good good um i was running for first lady it was you started out as a joke when i did have an act i was like i'm running for first lady and then uh, it was a follow-up idea was which is a real idea uh she works really hard so we should pay her but if we're gonna pay her we should get to pick her Mm-hmm. Let's pick her. Let's pay her. And the White House is big. And then I thought it would free the president to be a woman if we didn't have to have, you know, a first man. And it would also free the president to be able to be single, which I think we're losing out on a huge, you know, with this, this sort of, uh, we have such a leaning towards married politicians. Right. And partly it's because it's a two person job. And mm. if we, could have an elected, you know, there's a lot, she does a lot. Yeah. Or he will when it's, you know, and then I was like, yes, a man could run and probably win and then they'll have everything. And I had a lot of jokes, you <laughs> right. know, um, when I was in the White House and thing, but it was really grounded in this, you know, sexual gendered politics idea. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh my God, Oprah was def- desperate to get me on. And I was doing, I was so stupid. I mean, also Oprah wasn't what she, wasn't yet like what she really became. So when was this that you were campaigning This was 92. Oh. Yeah. My God. My God ahead of the time. No, that's not what I, that's not, I mean, that's not what I was saying. Uh, I was just thinking you're so, you were so like ahead of the time. 
Yes, I was. I've always, yeah. I've, uh, and my little complaint to myself is, can't you just get in your time? You <laughs> have to be ahead of your time. Yeah. And even this project, I thought I was, I'm going to write a book and I had a book agent. And then the book agent was like, I think I could sell you in an audiobook format. I was like, that sounds like ahead of my time again, though. But, right. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, so that's, this was 92 and actually, and it was very exciting. And I should have said yes, obviously. I had a show that night. You know, I had, mm-hmm. I was doing it as a one person show, which was a faulty idea. It really was a media campaign uh-huh. and I was in people and I did all sorts of media stuff. I went to the convention and that was the most fun part of it. But because I do shows, I was like, I need to turn it into a show. Yeah. And I had a show that night. And how was I going to, anyway, whatever. Um, so it was her talk show that you turned it down? It was her talk show. Yeah. Oh, whatever. Because to you, was it like, this is just another media appearance and it's not going to be a big no, deal? No, I don't know. I didn't have TV. Mm. It wasn't as big as it is now. Right. I just want to keep saying that. Yeah. But I still would have had done Oprah. Right. And I think there was going to be some other political comedian who I didn't like on. That's just me being judgy and stupid. I'm really, and also just married to the theater, the idea of theater. Like, I have a show that night. I mean, how can I? Yeah. The idea that you would cancel a show. I mean, obviously now I... It was me being very old, you know, just very. But it's like people had tickets. It makes sense. Yeah. You can't disappoint them. Yeah. But it was very, like, people all the time cancel theater stuff for film and TV. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just very understood. Like, film or TV, honey, you cancel the show. So I don't know. I just didn't. Um, But the, you know, really what was kind of interesting was that when the First Lady campaign ended and I wanted to do Uncow again, it was really the right time because not only then was it my need and the performer's need, um, but the whole world shifted with that Clinton election. It very much shifted because much of the comedy world at that moment was very us and them. You would go to the clubs and almost all the comedians are liberal, right? So it was just like the man, you know, it was them. You know, we were all mad at them, you know, and them. And then suddenly, like, we were them. And then what do you do? Then suddenly you're performing your comedy, your material. Suddenly now it has to be um, self-reflective. And, you know, inner looking and what's wrong you. I mean, you're the man. So mm-hmm. what's up with you? And um, I remember there were a lot of people would say like, well, it's kind of like therapy. And I just kept being like, I know. How's that bad? I mean, it was like one of those criticisms that you're like, it is? That's so great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I was like, well, why does she get to decide who's on? I was like, well, because I made the show because you wouldn't let me into your club. That's why. Mm-hmm. So, um, can you talk about the decision to have uh, your work be collaborative versus um, just featuring you? Yes. Um, sometimes I think it was. Uh, you know, I think of there in the book. I also think there's an idea about default decisions. There's some decisions you sort of don't make. That sort of you realize after a while, you're like, I guess I did decide not to have children. That wasn't the case for me. I mm-hmm. did decide not to have children. But there are some things after, you know, that was like, oh, I guess I did decide to be a collaborative person at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I always kept doing some things that were not collaborative, one person shows or, um, books or this or that, you know, some acting, which is collaborative. Um, perhaps it had to do with my loneliness, existential loneliness. I mean, not that I was alone, but just, I just love the feeling of community. I mean, mm. I'm drawn to the idea of community. That's a word that excites me. And I'm drawn to connection. I just love that. And I do think that there is something so exciting about the whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. That sentence, like, gets me off. I mean, like, <laughs> if I hear that sentence, I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> now you're talking about language. Um, and that's really alternative comedy. I yeah, think, you know, I, that, I, mean, I think that is a, uh, like a, a ribbon that runs through it versus traditional comedy. I think that is one of the things I, you know, so many things are different, but I mean, I never wanted it to be a showcase. I always wanted it to, first of all, though, I also wanted the individuals to shine, I hated the feeling of being in an audience at a comedy club and then you would leave and there were so many people who had been on, mostly guys, and you'd go, which one of the guys said that thing about that thing? Mm. And it was just like so interchangeable almost, partly because of the rhythm. Yeah. And one of the things that was so exciting to me was to hear the different rhythms that all the performers had that you could almost know it was them. I mean, I've heard on Cabaret B edited like audio edited and from three rooms away just the rhythm of somebody's voice i could tell that's rick overton or you know that's tim bagley or that's taylor negro you know and I, you can just hear and at one point i just said well like the rhythm of your voice is the wave your inner truth rides in on and it was one of those things you say and then i'm like whoa I think that's <laughs> so true and people if sometimes just the way people would talk was so exciting Patton oswald just the way Patton oswald expressed his Patton oswaldness <laughs> and so i wanted every night to again be this kind of quilt um that Everyone was so individually themselves, but people were free to pick up where some, because it was about the now, people would bring stuff in always, but sometimes somebody said something, sometimes I would say something at the very beginning and it would become a thread that would kind of lace through the whole thing. And I found that just so exciting. Um, and the audience was a big part of that community too. If you talk about collaboration, I mean, in all the years of Uncabaret, um, I mean, I can only think of one heckler. I mean, literally really? one. Wow. In all the years. And I don't mean like one bad one. Uh -huh. I mean one. What did that person do? Do you remember? Yeah. No, but I do remember what she was wearing. <laughs> oh, it was a, it was a she. It That's was a surprising. She, she had on a blue blazer. It was a very non-uncabaret, un-uncabaret, uh, un you know, garb. It was like a big, like a boating blazer with like big brass buttons and giant shoulder pads. Why I remember this, I don't know, mm -hmm. but I do remember that. And um, there was one performer who came in with her little dog, who I won't name, who was very disruptive. But uh, generally... The dog was, was disruptive or the performer was? Performer with the dog. Oh, that see, was the combo pack, yeah. I have a, I just feel like I know who it is, but I, I, we won't go you, there. You don't, you don't. I you don't? don't. Okay. Yeah. Mm -mm. All yeah. right. Um, I'm sorry. You, maybe you do. Maybe you do. Well, we'll um, talk after. Off air, yeah. Yeah. So um, 
so yeah, so I love that collaborative part of it. And I think I kept being drawn back to it because I also felt like Uncabaret was kind of an assignment. I felt the group wanted to be together. I felt it needed to be together. I felt I had been, I've tried to close Uncabaret many times and I keep getting sucked back in and I don't know why, but (laughs) what is this? I guess I love it. I mean, you know, what is the status of it now? Very lively. The status of it now is um, we're doing hybrid. Uh, we're in a hybrid situation. We are keeping the Zooms because as of this date that we are recording, March 4th, you know, I don't know when you're listening to it. This is March 4th, 2022. Probably Monday. Um, um, I know, but in the future. When, oh, right. That's sure, true. And have many listeners of, yes. throughout, you know, eons. In perpetuity. You know, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're doing Zoom shows once a month now, and we're back to live again. I mean, we went back to live, and then we stopped live and went back to two Zooms. And I don't know, this month we're- Tony might give you 40000 to do it live. That's so right. I would take him up on that. I would. I'll take forty. Right. I mean, you know, I probably should negotiate just like yeah. Allison should have. But you know what? We're women, and <laughs> sometimes we take the first offer because we don't know our worth. <laughs> <laughs> so we're very lively, and I'm starting to think. You know, we're we the band is back, and um, and I feel reinvigorated by it. At the same time, um, I have a, I have a new intern that's starting in a couple of weeks and I'm praying that she is good because I really do need, I really do need help because I have a lot of other work and it's not, you know, at a certain point it becomes like it's not going to become anything else probably. You know, in the early days it was, oh, we're going to make it into a TV show or it's going to become this or it's going to become that. And, you know, now it, it is what it is, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it, it can't be my whole life. So I just, I can't be making posters, Allison, anymore. <laughs> It's so interesting to hear you say that. Um, I am feeling a, there, there's a lot of things. I, I, what am I trying to say? Cause I'm all over the place. Let me try to, uh, there's so many things that you're saying where I am just recognizing some realizations I'm having in my own life and I'm sort of hearing echoes of them and things you're saying. And it's very profound for me. Um, okay. but, uh, yeah, I'm sort of, you know, having some, some feelings about trying to figure out some of like the things that I'm working on and feeling like I put so much energy into this aspect of it and into this aspect of it. And maybe that's not absolutely necessary. Like maybe I need, don't need to spend so much. This is going to sound so silly, but like I spend so much time tweeting and Instagramming and all of that. And like, maybe that's not absolutely necessary. Maybe it is, but maybe, maybe it's, it's not. not, but maybe it is. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's like that kind of stuff. So, um, uh, yeah. So what's, you know, so what's that? And I'm always, you know, I go through expansion and contraction ideas mm-hmm. as everything that, you know, has a long, you know, a long life does you expand, you contract, and I'm feeling maybe expansionistic, like it's time to meet some new people. And Zoom was great because we were able to expand to performers in New York. That was really exciting. And some people became part of the family who hadn't really been before. And I love it because it's kind of talk show, which is right. my wheelhouse. And um, and I mean, that was part of the back mic, too. I mean, I've just always loved conversation. At the heart of Uncabby is conversation. And that's why the book, So You Need to Decide, was really an expansion of that. I had a talk show at MTV for a minute that was green light and then ungreen light 
lighted for a boys show. Oh. Um, and I had a, you know, I've done radio shows and, but I think from when I was young, the part of stand up that really excited me wasn't actually the stand up, but panel. Like when I would watch, when I was little and watching t- the Tonight Show with my parents, it was really panel that I loved. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't, uh, the, the stand up itself. Mm. So, you know, so I love that. And that was part of the back mic too. I just wanted to be in a conversation with people. I just wanted to talk. Right. I love talk. Right. You know? Um, and elevating the conversation, you know. Wait, so I'm. Uh, uh, this sounds like a uh, unpleasant topic, but I must ask: What happened with MTV? Literally, we did the show. I pitched the show. It was very exciting, actually. It was. And when was this? This was in the '90s, the great '90s. I don't know which part of the '90s. Okay. It's a big Back blur then, of yeah. Nirvana. <laughs> um, <laughs> Of Nirvana and girdles as outerwear. I don't know. <laughs> it was a good time. A good time for music. Um, uh, and actually, so um, my agents, like I had this idea for, it was called The Couch. And the idea was that nobody would, none of the guests wouldn't have met each other. This is like, I had been on Politically Incorrect and I always loved the green room there as mm-hmm. much as the show. And I was like, I wish I could do a show where we got the green room feeling. Yeah. So... I came up with this idea that what we were going to do, cause it, like, but you can't replicate it. So I was like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep the guests separate. And also they're going to be booked very specifically mm-hmm. so that there's a reason that they're together. And then it's going to be at like a party. You know how you have a party and you're like, Andy Dick, I wanted you to meet this guy who just wrote this book. He's the head of the Sierra club and he just wrote this book called act now, apologize later. We're going to talk about apologies. You have so much bad behavior. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or, you know, and so it was really booked like that. And it was very, so, um, so it was very specific and we shot it and it was exciting and they loved it. And, um, and I, I was this, you know, it's hard to remember when we used to go around town and run into people, but there will be a, that day again. Mm-hmm. And people were like, Oh, I keep hearing how great it is. And it was a very exciting show. Um, how many episodes did you shoot? We did one. One. It was greenlit. We did a pilot. Yeah. And then it was greenlit. And then, um, before we went back into production and before it was fully like, right. you know, but it had been in variety. Like it yeah. was happening. It wasn't like I wasn't dreaming. Uh huh. And then I got a call on a late Friday afternoon from my agent. And you could just hear, and it's just like, oh right. god. And then it was like not happening. And then, um, then suddenly the Tom Green show was happening. Uh, so, this yeah. hurts my heart. How how did you uh, how did you deal with how did you take that? Badly, very very badly. It was a dream. It wasn't just a job. It was like mm-hmm. a big dream. And um, uh, I remember just playing. The ro- I mean, I don't, I don't know if I've ever played the Rolling Stones before or since. <laughs> For some reason, we have the Rolling Stones and I just put Let It Bleed on like in repeat play at like my poor neighbor's volume. <laughs> and, um, and I would remember getting very hungry like four hours later. Mm-hmm. I probably drank. Um, yeah. And then I just, you know, kind of went into a downward spiral. Right. <laughs> I don't know. It was horrible. But then, you know, we owned it and we shopped it and 
Bravo almost bought it. And then you're like, oh, my, and it takes a minute. And then you're like, oh, my life isn't going to go that way. Like, it's just not, there mm-hmm. isn't, I don't have four more of these in me. I don't have like 10 more great ideas for a talk show and it's not happening. And, um, and I sort of pulled myself out of it by making a one person show called Party Pants, <laughs> the Beth Lapidus experience. <laughs> And from that, it was sort of segments and I did it at the HBO workspace. And from that, I got my radio show and, you know, life goes on. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was all for the best. You know, the first time I heard somebody say, um, everything is unfolding in divine and perfect order. I almost threw up. (laughs) (laughs) I just got so mad. And then I thought, I think I'm jealous. Like, I think I'm jealous that somebody actually believes that. Right. That level of trust. And then I thought, well, if I'm that jealous of it, maybe I could believe it. Mm -hmm. Like if you're jealous of what somebody else believes, you want it. it, Is it possible that you want to believe it? And is it possible to believe it? So what I did is I started to um, say it as a joke Mm. in my life. Just every now and then I just said, ha ha ha, everything's unfolding in divine and perfect order. And then one time I, we were doing Uncab and um, it was a night that everything was going wrong and somebody canceled and somebody else canceled, like on show day, you know, on night of show and, and some tech in the club. I don't remember what it was. It was just one thing after another and it was time to hit the stage and, you know, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. And um, I got on stage and the music's playing and I sang my change song. And then the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm sure everything is unfolding in divine and perfect order. And everybody laughed and I laughed. And then everything did unfold in divine <gasps> and perfect order. You made it happen. And it was a very miraculous night. And I started to think like, and then I start, you know, all those times in your life when you look at the story for a long enough time and you mm-hmm. start to think, oh, that sort of seems like that was meant to be. Everything that sort of is hard, you start to see as a challenge. Mm-hmm. And, ended up going to um my partner is a musician and he had a gig for a while at a science of mind church and we were going to that and i would go with him because i'm interested and i love him and and um and then you know there they have a thing there so like everything nothing happens to you it all happens for you mm. and i was like that was another one i was like really <laughs> <laughs> but once you start sort of changing your mind and i think that is the biggest thing that's i mean to me that is one of the things that also drew me to this book um so you need to decide was i have really decided to change my mind about a lot of things and those are the biggest decisions i've made i mean you know i've made some 12-step decisions and i've made these decisions about what i believe and these big decisions about thinking where you know the first time somebody told me it's that your thinking creates your feelings, not the reverse. Right. I almost hit them. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, that is so, that's impossible. That's just, no, obviously not. Yeah. And then you start experimenting with it. Once you open your mind to what, you know, I could experiment with my thinking and I could try thinking different things. And once I decided to do that, and I started to see really a revolution in my own life 
that I started to think that, you know, changing your mind is the biggest decision that you can make. Mm -hmm. You decide to think differently. And I didn't have a chapter in the book called thinking Mm -hmm. because I think that would have might be, be a little, you know, you can get a little too cerebral decision making. But that for me is partly what drove me because I had seen, um, what change, what that decision had, has done for me. And I know that when I'm in trouble now, that it's all in my thinking and my life is so, so many miracles have happened in my life that I, you know, with the idea that a miracle is a shift in perspective. And I do really see every single thing. And I talk about in the book, you know, this idea of regrets or not having regrets and how people always say like, ask celebrities like what would do you have any regrets and everybody's like i don't have any regrets everything that happened for a reason everything you know and i'm like sure well if you've gotten to the place where people are asking you if you have regrets (laughs) of course right you know everything (laughs) has happened for a reason to get you to this fabulous place right but you can create you know and then i i remember seeing bet midler on the tonight show once and she was like you know, any regrets. And she was like, I regret everything. I regret every single thing that's ever happened. It was hilarious. The whole audience like breathed a sigh of relief. But you can do that for yourself. I mean, you can create a life because it's the thing that you create is your experience. So, you know, sure, we all want the gifts and prizes, but at the core of it, no matter how, I mean, I think we've all had the experience of getting something great, but your experience of it is really awful. Mm. And, you know, at this, and, 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 and the mirror image of that is something supposedly awful happens. And your experience of it is absolutely miraculous because you understand that it's a moment. You understand that you don't have full comprehension. You know, every little thing that happens to us, if we think this is when I said at the beginning of, you know, reform know it all, <laughs> because every time something I'll say it with air quote bad happens to you, it's not the whole thing. It's a piece of everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're not, um, we're not living in a culture where that's easy to always see. Cause right. as you said, we have to tweet and Instagram and, <laughs> and, you know, every little bite of moment is something. But anyway, right. I thought a long answer to whatever your question was. Yeah. Oh, what happened with my MTV talk show? Yeah. But it, it got me where I am today. Who knows how bad my life would be if I had gotten <laughs> <that> show? <laughs> yeah. Thank God, Allison, that that didn't happen. <laughs> I had uh, an epiphany or what felt like a bit of an epiphany the other night, um, which I will share, which is I was lying in bed and I all of a sudden I was thinking about the sort of different like big kind of pivotal things that have happened in my life. Um, and that when they uh, career thing, like mostly career things, um, and when I moved to New York, I, I was a writer at the time. And when I moved to New York, I was freelance. And I remember I would like look on Media Bistro and I would see these various media jobs and I would, you know, and they weren't right for me. It was like, you know, copy. I was a writer, but it would be like copy editing. But I'm like, I can do that, you know, and I would apply for them. Yeah. And I was always trying to go for these jobs that weren't really perfect. They just were like, I was trying to squeeze myself in. I was trying to convince Mm -hmm. someone that, and then this, um, you know, music writer position. And I had written about music. Mm -hmm. I I was always writing about music and features is always what I had done. And this position at Time Out New York opened up, which was like exactly what I had done before. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, I can totally do that. Um, And I uh, interviewed for it and was, um, 
they interviewed like everyone in town. So I interviewed for it and then they interviewed like everyone else and then they offered me the job. Um, and I actually was a little bit insulted that they had felt, they interviewed me and still felt the need to interview everyone else. <laughs> but someone else was like, you should be flattered. You know, do you realize how many people they interviewed? And I was like, but that doesn't feel flattering. But anyway, that's not the point of the story. The that's point funny. of the story was when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, that job was right for me and it it came even though i had to like you know put myself out there to get it it really wasn't hard to get it once i interviewed for it and then my job on the adam carolla show like i just knew that i would be good in that position and i auditioned and then it was offered to me and then like you know with my husband when we fell in love it was unlike every other relationship i'd had it was just very obvious that we were right for each other it was very easy and like i spend some time you know these days i feel like i'm sort of like i do all this hand wringing of like I got to figure out like, what's my next move? What's my next thing? And I got to like will it into existence and I need to figure it out. And I just had this, the epiphany I had was like, that's not really how life works. You don't really figure things out when something is right. It's sort of undeniably right. And yes, I do think there's a, I do think this hand wringing and figuring it out. There's a, 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 a purpose to all that in that it sort of like gets you th- on the right path of maybe thinking or being open or whatever, but like things aren't really generated from intense scrutiny. It's more like there's, you know, it's, it's a two way street. Things find you and you know that it's right because there's an effortlessness to it, I think. And that sort of made me feel a little bit, uh, I found that liberating, but like, I don't have to figure it all out. Mm. Well, anytime you feel liberated, you know, it's the, you know, you hit the, you know, the vein of gold. Um, yeah, totally. Well, if I sort of think of it as like, but you do have to sort of, you also do have to stay active in it mm-hmm. because you, you, you know, you're sort of, so I like to think of it sometimes, I think like love the question. Like if you need to do something else, but you don't know what it is rather than like figuring it out, it's like, just like, I wonder what's next. I, right. you know, just like be in wonder, which is, actually healthy and you're open but not open to everything mm-hmm. and you, know, you sort of you look you're looking and you're available you right. continue to make yourself available in a certain energetic way i'm available for the new thing right i'm wondering what it is and i'm gonna try this this might be it well, i wonder if this is it mm-hmm. hmm. no, I don't wonder if this, what about this thing over here i mean there's nothing wrong i mean it's it's an experiment i mean yeah it's all an experiment i i mean we're here to experience an experiment and you know in through that to kind of i don't know what we're here for to experience life and be life and you know have our but you want to always be learning so you can't always exactly know what the next thing is because it's something a little new usually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what is a new thing that I think you should experience? And uh, I don't know, Beth, you might not be aware that you're in the presence of the queen of segues. I mean, now you're probably <laughs> well aware of it. But um, Tony, I had told you to uh, let her know ahead of time that I was the queen of segues. I think you forgot. Oh, yeah. boy. 
I just picked that up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I never assume I have to tell anyone because it's pretty obvious. I know, but I just, you're right. Okay. So anyway, look, you guys, everyone knows about the Ring video doorbell. But did you know that Ring makes an award-winning alarm? You probably, I feel like, uh, I feel like maybe you do because we have the Ring uh, alarm. And I've talked extensively on past shows about how when we moved into this house, my husband wanted to get an alarm system. And uh, I did not really want to go through the whole thing of like, subscribing to one of those services where the people come out and they set it up and I felt like that is going to be a whole thing and then I found out that Ring and I was very familiar with Ring because we had the Ring video doorbell and I can't imagine life without the Ring video doorbell um, I didn't realize they had an alarm at the time so uh, then I found out they do and I was like well I love Ring let's get the Ring alarm and we got it and we loved it uh, and I love that you can install it yourself and then you feel super protected with it and it's great well now they have come out with something more and it is the ring alarm pro uh so when it comes to protecting your home we've gone pro with ring alarm pro so ring alarm pro helps protect my entire home and the wi-fi it runs on with ring alarm pro ring has combined a home security system and a wi-fi router so this thing protects your home and secures your network it's a game changer for home security which is why cnet called it a giant leap for home security so now i have the whole home security of ring alarm that i love plus a secure wi-fi network with a consistently strong signal across my home and i don't know how you guys are but we now so when we moved into this house uh, Daniel's dream was to have a full smart home with like everything on the network and blah, blah, blah. And I, I love Daniel and I love this home. I did not share the desire to have everything, uh, like operatable from the phone. Although I will admit it is pretty nice to be able to like adjust everything just from, you know, an app. Um, but yeah, so we need our Wi-Fi protected. Um, and it's pretty great. And we are going to be going on vacation. I'm not going to tell you when, and I'm not going to tell you where, because I don't trust any of you. I'm just kidding. I trust all of you. But yeah, we're going to, we're heading out of town sometime in the next year. And I feel extra secure knowing that we have the Ring Alarm Pro protecting our entire home, uh, and protecting our Wi-Fi, uh, and knowing that, uh, we can, you know, check in on it while we're gone and uh, knowing that with the Ring Protect Pro subscription, we'll get professional monitoring for ultimate peace of mind. There's no long-term commitments. And if anything happens, professional monitoring will call us and we can request emergency services. And best of all, Ring Protect Pro is an amazing deal. It's true. Ring has an award-winning alarm. And to protect my home, I've gone pro with Ring Alarm Pro. To learn more, go to ring.com forward slash best friend. That's ring.com forward slash best friend. Uh, I also want to tell you guys about Switchcraft. Switchcraft is a super fun match three game that you can play right on your smartphone. Uh, now you might be thinking match three game. I've played those and yes, you probably have, but this one is an entirely t- new take on a match three game, uh, because the writers of Switchcraft are super crafty, super clever, creative writer people who I think have a background in TV. Uh, and so they've created a whole 
engrossing world that involves witchcraft. Get it? Switchcraft, witchcraft, wizards. There's a whole storyline there. So you become engrossed in the story. And then to go from like one level to the next, there's these really clever match three games. So it's more than just a puzzle. Uh, it's can you tell I do not do much gaming, if you will. But I do love this game. Uh, so Switchcraft is a brand new take on match three games. As you play, you unlock pieces of beautiful, magical, uh, pieces of a beautiful, magical and gripping graphic novel. So in Switchcraft, you take on the role of a witch at Pendle Hill, the world's top academy of witchcraft. So uh, whatever academy of witchcraft you were thinking of applying to, I hope you'll apply to Pendle Hill. It's the world's top academy. Play your way through hundreds of enchanting match three levels, revealing a dark and wandering mystery story. And I did say wandering. It all starts with the disappearance of your best friend. Now it's up to you to unravel the mystery of her disappearance using your magical match three skills. Along the way, you'll find unique characters, a gripping story, and even a little romance. The best part is that your choices in the game determine the outcome of the story. So you're in the driver's seat. Download Switchcraft for free and unlock the magical mystery. It's super fun. And you know me. I love fun. And I had fun playing it. And I will continue to have fun because I'm not at the end yet. Um, Okay. And we are back. I think it is time to do some Just Me or Everyone. So this is a segment where we discuss. uh, So, I mean, oftentimes we take listener suggestions of things people tweet them to us and they wonder is it just me or is it everyone who does this particular thing but today we're going to find out if um beth has any just me or everyone's beth do you have a just me or everyone? i do i have one and i have to say when you sent me the email about it and it was like you know do you count you know you might like count or something i was like oh, i do do that but i'll come up with something it wasn't in the email okay great so, we, all have, right. we have a little song so oh, okay hang on a right. second okay okay i have one sometimes i Ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's so cute. All right. I, I don't even quite know how to say this. Is it just me or is it everyone who likes to carry a lot of extra keys around? Oh. I think it is just me. It's I, not just you. I, no, not. I don't. I um. I like to carry the minimum number of keys, the maximum number of like everything else. But keys <laughs> I find are so heavy that if I can get away with like two keys on my keychain, I will. But I know many people who have just a ridiculous I have so number. many extra keys that my best friend is like my other best friend besides you. Thank you. Thank you. Is um always like it's not chic. It's not right you know pare down and so i sometimes do do it just because i'm like she's right you know james and then i'll take it down i feel so naked and i feel so vulnerable i start putting them back slowly back slowly back and also i have a little bit like well you know la could be occupied at any time and then if i don't have the new york keys and Mm. i've got to go to the airport and get to new york then how am i going to get into the house in new york if i you know and and i have truly a giant mound of keys that i just keep out that's like a sculpture of keys people have given me over the years i always say if you want to show me that you love me just give me your key (laughs) (laughs) wait who are we who are we getting occupied by 
<laughs> anyone. It's just anyone. If the, if, sure. I don't the sh- know, the shit you know, goes the down. handmaid's tale yeah. happens just all of a sudden one afternoon without, you know, enough warning. Right. Cause that is how pla- it happens. Yeah. I want to have places to go. Right. Um, and, and finally, so the other night I went to, um, the YouTube theater to see, uh, my friend Jamie Bridgers give, our my friend Phoebe Bridgers, her daughter, a, an award. Phoebe Bridgers, and who's featured in the audiobook. In the book, yeah. right. And so is Jamie. Um, and Jamie's the one who's always saying, you know, get rid of the key. So I, I was like, two keys. I'm just taking the house and the car. And um, I got to the check-in. They were like, you can't bring Mace into the <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all oh, right, the mace, the mace. That's part of the keychain. This is also the whistle. Yeah. The, the mace. So anyway, they took my mace. I have other mace though, if anybody's oh, good. listening. Spare I've mace. Yeah. Mace. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I that's it. And I always I'm always looking for them. I mean, I really panic, like, where are my keys? They're in your pocket. They're in your hand. But it doesn't feel like enough. I need the mm-hmm. weight. It's like you know what I think it is? I think it's a weighted blanket of for keys. your car. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This makes yeah. sense. Yeah. You cannot. I don't know. Is that just me or is that everyone? That's, well, it's not everyone. It's some I, people. Yeah, it's some people. Have you seen Fun Home? Yes. You know, there's I that whole it. song about a ring of keys, which oh, makes me. I don't remember that. Yeah. It's a, and it makes it sound like, um, this is not what you're saying, but, um, I think that it's like an iconic, like lesbian thing is to carry a ring of keys. Jamie is always saying, I wasn't going to bring that up. She's always saying, Beth. <laughs> like you might be sending a signal with your keys. Yes. <laughs> Tony. Like, well, you know. Yeah. Tony, how many, I, I, I don't think I've seen you with tons of keys. Not a lot of keys. There's definitely more than I need. I think I did realize recently there's one on my keychain that I literally don't know what it's for. Yeah. Um, oh, that's the worst because yeah. then you're so afraid of taking that's even worse than any other one to take off. Yeah. Right, cuz yeah. what if so suddenly you remember it, it and you need it? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know that I I like carrying extra keys necessarily. Although I do I uh what you were saying about the the weight of them or something. It is kind of maybe like an OCD thing because I will like if I'm on tour, uh, I don't need my keys at all. Like getting off and on the bus, there's usually like a code to get on the bus and right. stuff. But uh, I will still carry my keys mostly because I'm so used to it. But then also I'll put like my tour pass on my keys instead right. of wearing it somewhere else. So then it gives me, it also kind of gives me an excuse to have my keys because then my pass is on my keys. Now, there you go. Oh, well, also I love sort of the as long as you're talking about music, the jingle jangle, if you will, mm-hmm. of like, if I take a walk, just having the keys be like, yeah, it's kind of like a rhythm section. Right. It's like you're, <laughs> you have a rhythm section with you at all time. <laughs> <laughs> it is really weird on the, you know, once every four year family trip that we take when I realize that Okay, so Daniel has his ca- his house keys, so I don't need to bring mine. But then I feel sort of naked without my house keys. And then right. I think, but what if something... And I can't imagine what circumstance would happen that would create me returning home separately from him and needing my keys. Something bad. Yeah, you don't want to think about no. what that would be. That's right. not like, oh, you got cast in a major motion picture. <laughs> I and had you to need return to- home. <laughs> you need to return home. <laughs> 
God. Why am I not prepared for that eventuality, though? That could happen. That could happen. <laughs> oh, my God. Be prepared for having to come home for a great job opportunity. I used to, back when I was younger and more castable in things, I would travel with, like, my, you know, HD makeup and super uh, hydraulic bras and just my whole everything <laughs> everywhere just in case I, I needed to do a TV appearance because who anywhere from anywhere because who knows and now I'm like I haven't put on that bra in a really long time I don't know if I ever will again wow yeah. I want to hear more about that bra I mean it was just a Victoria's Secret padded oh, okay. underwire uh, oh, okay. bra that you know did more for yeah. my bosoms than my regular than your sports bra <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I sometimes, yeah, I enjoy wearing a, I enjoy wearing the full lingerie get up. All I wear fishnets every day. You do? Mm -hmm, I have one right now. Oh my god! Look at that. YouTube.com slash Allison Rosen. Now, are these? Um, do they come up to your waist, or is this like a garter situation? No, they do come up to my waist. Okay. Um, and, and but they're seamed and uh, like back seam. Yeah. Who and makes them? Capizio. Really? I mm -hmm. used to, back when I played in a band, I used to always want fishnets with a back seam and I couldn't find them. So I would wear back seam pantyhose and fishnets. I mean, th if that is not that's a recipe a for, that's a, that is that's a, a yeast infection is what that is. <laughs> well, these are Capizio and uh, they last some, they're very strong. I mean, they're really made for dancing and I do feel, you know, there's one little phrase that I really helps me get through the day, which is dance with the chaos. Uh-huh. I like that. And it does slightly remind me in, you know, the, in the mess of it all, like, Look, you th you think it's all supposed to make sense? You think it's supposed to be ordered? You're just dancing, dancing, dance with the chaos, honey. Dance like with that. your keys. Anyway. <laughs> um, and then, do you have uh, a hey go fuck yourself? I do, I do. Um, that was a little hard to decide on because let's face it, there's. I mean, mentality. how do you not do Putin today? Right. And uh, then there's all the you know the legislations against you know trans kids and outlawing contraception. Um, but, uh, I thought, how do you choose between that? And then I thought there's something that unites all this that I think I can do a, Hey, go fuck yourself on, which is the people who go through red lights knowingly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think all those people all go through red lights on purpose because they don't think the red light is for them. And they don't care if they're going to kill someone in the intersection. There are people going in LA, like three cars in into a red light like okay it's not even cuspy okay fine it's the orange light turning into the red light i find it's on a cusp you get a pass but the next car and then the next car allison that third car that's going through a red light because they don't think it's for them and there's so many accidents and it so makes me so mad. It's, I'm the most, by the way, pussy driver. I'm going Same. too slow. I'm in the right, but I get, I know this about myself. So I'm in the right hand lane. I'm getting out of your way. I'm trying to keep to myself. I'm not slow poking in front of the fast lane. Mm -hmm. Don't you go through the red light. Go fuck yourself. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. Beth, it has been such delight getting to know you. 
having Likewise. you on the show. Thank you so, so, so much. Tell everyone uh, where they can find you, where they can find the book. Everyone go listen to So You Need to Decide. It is a, a very joyful and uh, helpful and funny listen, I think. Oh, that's very nice. I love all those three things. Joyful, helpful, and funny. Um, that makes me so, so happy. Uh, you, and how would you listen to it? You could go to anywhere that your audio books are. Audible is one place people like to go and you can use your monthly Audible credit on it. You can also easily gift it to people on Audible. You can also get it on just your regular Amazon. You can get it on, uh, Apple books, for instance, if you're an Apple books person. Um, at bethlapidus.com, I do have a page that is just has all the links to everything. I'm on all the socials as Beth Lapidus. On Instagram, there's a there's an underscore between Beth and Lapidus. Don't let that confuse you. Um, <laughs> don't be scared away by the underscore, you guys. Don't be scared guys. away by that underscore. Uh, and uh, Twitter and, and Uncabaret is in all those places too. And Uncabaret shows are happening. And um, and this book is really an out out pouring of uncabaret energy so um yeah that's where i think that's where you can find yeah that sounds good perfect thank you so much um you guys if you enjoy what you're hearing and even if you don't please make sure you're subscribed uh leave us a nice comment on apple podcast helps out the show uh and rate us five stars. So leave us the nice comment because we read those. We read them on the show. Leave her the nice comments. Yes. And I mean, it's so important to rate and review. It oh, is. my God. Thank you. And wherever you're listening now, I think they uh, you can rate it. They've added that functionality. So rate the show. Leave us the nice comments. Listen to my other podcast, Childish and Upworthy Weekly. Um. Oh, I have now launched a newsletter. I'm getting into the newsletter game, you guys. Substack? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm doing review right now which is r-e-v-u-e because it's got this integration with twitter but i'm not loving the like the editor the the soft Mm -hmm. i'm not loving it so i think i'm going to switch to sub sub stack actually because that one seems to look better so by the time they hear this it might actually be sub stack so there you go yeah so sign up for that wherever you sign up for it you'll get it the same place because i can import and stuff sign up sure. for that on all my social media i posted uh a, a way to sign up so follow me on social media at allison rosen also i'm on patreon patreon.com slash allison rosen patreon uh, tony what about you i am uh on twitter and instagram at tony thaxton and my podcast <laughs> bizarre albums every tuesday and yeah that's that's it for this week all right. Thank you. Wow. If I come on again, will you make one of those stings with my name? Bad Lapidus. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I want that. <laughs> of course. We have Jackie are- who sang that coming on Monday. We should just ask her to sing yeah. it just in case. Oh, yeah. On Monday. Right. Yeah. <laughs> thank you well, so much. So, thanks so much. It's so much fun. You're a delight. Oh, thank you. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. About the Allison Rosen Show We had a good time But now we gotta go Yeah, Allison Rosen Is your new best friend